Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I am really excited to tell you that I actually have someone wrote me a comment, but it's too long to read all of it. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I really appreciate it. This is from Muhammad living in Australia. And it says, Dear JBL, are you planning on doing another Conrad book? He, he goes on to say, I have already devoured most of your previous talks about Conrad's works and characters. Thank you so much for all those great talks. But I yearn for more on Conrad. <laughs> and so, so uh, I really appreciate that. I, let me just, I can go on a little bit more. He goes on to say, uh, he's talking about his plots and stories can be quite complex. And he talks a little bit about the secret sharer which we do cover at times in our English, uh, sophomore English class. Uh, then he goes on to say, there is none other like Conrad. He was naturally scornful, unaffectedly condescending, as if from the height of his six foot three, he had surveyed all the vastness of human folly and had made up his mind not to be too hard on it. <laughs> Perhaps I enjoy him more than anyone else because English is a third language for me too. So I uh, have a feeling that he's from originally from Pakistan. He said, perhaps it is because of that overlap of linguistics that allows me to admire his prose that way more. It is poetry. I have not read any other English fiction that even remotely comes close to Conrad. And so I really, really like that. He says, even his preface to this book is a masterpiece in its own right and should be taught in schools. If nothing else, may I request you to do a talk on the preface alone. He's talking about Lord Jim. And so, Muhammad, let me tell you that there's a lot of people with you, and I'm with you, and uh, we have a few other series to get through, but we can always come back to Marlowe every now and then. Or I should say Conrad. They're the same person, by the way. Well, today what we want to do is we want to get into... Uh, the actual book Moby Dick. Now, last time I introduced our short series on Herman Melville's American classic novel Moby Dick or the Whale, and I used um, Phil Brooks' little book called, you know, Why You Need to Read Moby Dick. So, so we finished that. But for today's podcast, I want to begin our discussion of chapters one through nine. Now, essentially, what we'll do is we'll cap we'll cover chapters one through four on today's podcast, and then five through nine on next week's podcast. Now, to help me do this today, in the studio with me is a special guest that I uh, really enjoy and love. I've known him since he was born. But anyway, he's a he's now an English teacher himself, and so I'm. Uh, I'm bringing on with me today Grant Turgeon. He's also the host of two podcasts on uh, uh, KPCG, and so he's uh, he's the uh, host of Trumpet Bookshelf, and he's also host of Behind the Works. So welcome back, Grant. 
It's so good to be back. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know it's been a long time. All right. So uh, just to give everybody out there listening an overview, these first four chapters are basically just of uh, uh, basically a history of America's whaling capitals. I, I noticed I just I didn't spell that word right. Um, so I'm editing my own work here. Uh, he's talking about a little bit about Nantucket and New Bedford, and he uh, gives kind of a humorous view of it all. Uh, but then also, uh, this these first four chapters, I think they introduce us to the most humorous and most fascinating characters ever created by such a genius writer as Melville. And the two characters are Ishmael and Queequeg. So, Mr. Turton, what do you think there? I, I have to agree with that. And I just love the way that Ishmael talks about falling on a sword and basically that's the way he feels about the ocean it in a way he's addicted to going out there but at the same time he knows he's staring death in the face i guess and he knows how dangerous it all is so as much as he loves it it's like a love-hate relationship is what i gathered from that at least i just loved how he said every time he felt like his aggression was building up. He just needed to go back to the ocean. And then, <laughs> right. and then he starts to explain, uh, everyone's like me. Look at all the people who flock to the coast and, and are just so obsessed with being around the water that they'll travel a thousand miles to be, be near the water on vacation. So really, we're all the same. But then he explains how they're not the same because those people pay to go on the ocean while he gets paid pay because he's a prof- he's actually a professional right right I, I think it is uh one of the things i think it reveals and again ishmael i think we have to accept he's speaking for melville through the whole book so you know just like conrad uses marlo i'm mean, poor marlo he's he's the what is he the fall guy you know <laughs> but it's conrad's thinking but but the the the, the point is about Ishmael, he's very, very educated. Even to even to bring up Cato, and and uh, you know, for for anybody that's reading this for the first time, I mean, there is a lot packed into this that you really need to get on the online and find out who Cato is. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit, but Cato, he was he's Cato the Younger. He was a living uh, person in the um, in the Roman. Uh, the Roman world, and uh, he lived at the time of Julius Caesar, and he did not like Caesar, and you know he was uh, he was with a group of people called the Optimates that were going to take over, and uh, Julius Caesar slaughtered them, and now he wasn't at the battle, and so he he fell on his sword, he committed suicide, so so I, I think it's funny when when Ishmael does say in that first chapter he said uh, you know. Going to sea saves him from the from the the ball and pistol. <laughs> so, so he said, when he gets those hypos, when he gets that tough spot, not only does he want to knock people's hats off, he wants to like put a bullet through his head. And so, so you can see this guy's intense. Okay, that makes sense because I thought maybe he was talking about shooting other people, but that's even more intense if he's talking about he's, doing he's it gonna, to himself. He's going to wow. do himself in. So that's where the whole Cato thing comes in too. Yeah, and it seems like I hear that phrase all the time, like falling on your sword or going out on your shield. Those are yeah. things you hear all the time. It probably does originate yeah. with that. And you can see all throughout the book how – knowledgeable Ishmael is there's a word in here obstreperously that 
Ishmael the sailor is using as the narrator of the story of the story yeah. it's it's quite odd that a sailor would be as educated as he is yeah he's educated but it's what makes the, the whole story so humorous yeah. at the same time I think yeah he, he's somewhat of a philosopher I think and and uh, there's some more things we can bring out um, you know but there's there's uh, I think one of the things that, that uh, we need to also say about Ishmael he's a wise guy I mean <laughs> He's a joker, and uh, you know when he wants to step into the street and knock people's hats off. I mean, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. But uh, but the the other thing is, um, I I think uh, Ishmael is is uh, he's he's deep in the sense that that he really wants to understand like what life's all about, and and so there's a lot of people, you know. Right now, it's really big. Everybody wants to go into outer space. But in, at the time that Con—not Conrad—the time that Melville was writing this, most young people wanted to go to the sea because that was the big new discovery. And so, so I don't want to go up into outer space. <laughs> right. Well, being you can die exactly. <laughs> well, even being on the water is a lot scarier than being on land probably everyone at some point in life has had a nightmare about go drowning uh, it, as part of a shipwreck like being on the titanic or something it's just something we're not familiar with we can't see the creatures of the deep and those things that could swallow us up down there so that's a lot scarier than being on the land so there's a lot of mystique about uh about the ocean about the sea and that probably does extend into space as well people thinking well it, there is some danger to it. There's so much unknown. If you take off your helmet when you're out in space, you obviously can't breathe. So uh, you'd probably freeze your face off. <laughs> just a lot of people are thrill seekers, and they they want to face danger just for a little bit. Not not be out there for a long time, come right back, but just sort of sample some danger for for excitement's sake. Yeah, yeah. I know it, human beings could be crazy when they're they're out after yeah. excitement, you know. So, but but uh, the, one thing I think uh, for all the listeners out there is when you're reading this, pay attention to the chapter titles as well, because the first chapter title is called "Looming," "Loomings," and the thing is, you know, I'd um, say I've been doing this in class for a couple of years. I never looked up the meaning of the word "loomings." And then I, I slapped myself the other day and said, you need to get a dictionary and look what this means. <laughs> and, and here's the definition of looming. It's a term found in the study of perception as it relates directly to psychology. Looming refers to the rapid expansion in the size of any given image. As the image becomes increasingly large on the perceiver's retina, when an object looms, there is an automatic physiological response to perceive the object is approaching. Or it's going to smack you, and so so the thing is, if you look at Melville and his genius, he he started this out by saying, "Look, I'm going to give you some new perception," and so it's it's more than just a story about a whale. It's more than a story about Ishmael. It is he he wants to know, like what is under the ocean? It's almost like Conrad in the Heart of Darkness. You know what's in the darkness, and now it's like what's under the ocean. And he really plays with that. You know, the whale is white. Is the white is the whale evil or is the whale good? You know, he's playing with all these symbols throughout this book. And so, so, uh, but he he does, I think, in that very first chapter, 
is that uh, he really introduces it in a in a semi semi humorous semi serious way because he wants to draw you in and I think he does I think he does a good job with chapter one Oh, definitely. And it is like the whale is looming in their future, but they're sailing out to it. The whale's not coming on land to confront <laughs> no. them. They're going out to attack the whale because they're whalers. That's what they do. Yeah. So that's that's why that's such a great chapter title. Yeah. It's like the whale's getting closer to them, but really they're the ones who, who sought out the battle. They, yeah. they went out to his, his realm and started it essentially yeah. and so the, the the i think the other thing probably most people know is that um nathaniel philbrick's book in the heart of the sea is the history of the the destruction of the essex and that's that's the big white whale that really destroyed that ship and and melville uh was a sailor at that time and he heard all these stories about what happened to the essex and he came back and he wrote a book about it i mean this is based on that history and so so uh you know i i think that's what makes the book i think even more fascinating so uh but but all of you out there listening you know you need to read the whole chapter one we're just going to give you some some highlights um i I think it's funny when when he talks about let me just give you a few things he said uh, when he goes to the sea he goes as a simple sailor he expects to, he expects to get thumped by the captain and he blows it all off by saying who ain't a slave <laughs> <laughs> you know and and essentially he says yeah i go out to sea a lot of people pay to go out to sea i go out to sea and i get paid and so so he's funny and then he goes into this whole he trips over into the whole thing uh, uh, the, you know the wrong view of one of the scriptures is you know money is not the root of all evil money is a root of all evil mm-hmm. and so but he says yeah we're getting paid it says so why do people go after money so much it just gets you right into perdition <laughs> so, so he's really cracking off all the time about you know making these jokes and then uh he, he, this one is really funny and and i've got to be careful how i say that but i i understand this a little different way but he says he really he he really goes to sea because of the wholesome exercise and the pure air of the forecastle deck and so so the forecastle deck is at the front of the boat so so he's that's where his job is going to be so so he gets the air first and all the guys up front get the air first but then he said he feels sorry for the commodore who gets the air second hand on the quarter deck <laughs> so he, he, he's so he doesn't care at all about having authority on the ship but he has such a positive mindset about this where he's like well this is actually an advantage that i have <laughs> because the commodore is breathing in my recycled air <laughs> so i actually get one better on him yeah, in that you, way if you have a group of guys on a ship what what other air uh, are you <laughs> what other air do you have to deal right. with <laughs> so so i'm sure that's there that's what he's saying and uh, uh i tried to find that a nice way to say that but anyway i was just when i was getting ready for the program i was just cracking up today on that i thought okay i gotta figure out how i'm gonna say that <laughs> i like how he says he has no problem like mopping the deck or no. anything either he doesn't care because like you said we're all a slave we all come under authority everyone has a boss except god himself yeah so why not just accept that and, and make the best of it and and enjoy the good things like breathing in the fresh air like he says <laughs> and then he says 
you know, uh, ultimately everyone's going to get the universal thump. <laughs> so, so whether you like it or not, whether you're a sailor that's getting beat up by the captain, or you're, you're off on this, the land, you're still going to get the universal thump. You'll, we all get the the hammer. Yeah, we say. all get the hammer. So, so, but but Melville, I think, did have a little bit of, uh, you know, confusion about the fate, and I think um, the, the the funniest thing is on page seven of my book, anyway. Uh, where Queequeg, not not Queequeg, excuse me, uh, Ishmael says he credits the fates for giving him his shabby part on the stage of life. <laughs> right, like he has so, no control over right, these things. Right. Yeah, so I, I get yeah. this shabby character. You know, <laughs> I have to swab the deck. I have to do all this. You know, so so that's that's very much. We know that uh, that um, Melville was heavily influenced by Shakespeare. He was studying Shakespeare and Virgil and all these other poets at the same time. And when you get into the higher chapters, which we will get into a little bit later, he's experimenting. Some of the chapters look like scenes from a play. Some of them are like a chorus from a you know a musical. And so he's just really going at it. So yeah, it's so, easy to just picture him laughing while he writes. Yeah, because there's so many just hilarious stories or back and forth interactions that show Ishmael, he has high quality vocabulary even when he's popping off in in fury at somebody and even that's just funny to read and then um like you said just randomly turning parts of the book into a totally different <laughs> style of writing <laughs> and out, poetry out of nowhere yeah but they break into poetry it's really <laughs> great so just just really quick i want to read uh, so we can get into chapter two at the very end of this first chapter he says by reason of the, these things then the welling voyage was welcome the great floodgates of the wonder world swung open and in the wild conceits that swayed me to my pur- purpose two and two there floated into my inmost soul endless processions of the whale and midmost of them all one grand hooded phantom like a snow hill in the air and so so that's that's melville's way of saying there's more to this story than just a whaling story. You know, we're going off into, we're going to explore some some other things. All right, um, let's talk a little bit now about about uh, the carpet bag. So, I mean, these these chapters are really, really, really very, really pretty small. But uh, you know, I, I think it's funny how he makes fun of Manhattan. Right. <laughs> he calls it Manhattan, and everybody living on Manhattan are Manhattos. You know, it's like they're Indians, right? Because the Indians did own that island at one time, you know, and uh, uh, so uh, he, he said he quit good old city of Manhattan, but he duly arrived in New Bedford, and uh, but then it, this is almost—you just wonder if he borrowed this from Ben Franklin. Remember when Ben Franklin was running away, he missed the ship, and he couldn't get all the way he needed to get to, and so here he misses. He misses his voyage, and now he's stuck in in New Bedford for a couple of days. And he was supposed to get to New, uh, get to Nantucket, so he has he's stuck there for like two days. And then he goes on and he starts comparing Nantucket to Tyre, and that's where uh, all of you out there need some of your ancient history. And uh, ancient Tyre was a just a trading metropolis at the time, and even even uh, let's see, I think. Um, what prophet uses that? I think it's it. I think it's Ezekiel that talks about the king of Tyrus and all that. And so, so, uh, so he compares Tucket 
Nantucket to Tyre, and then New Bedford, he, he calls it Carthage. And of course, that was an ancient Phoenician city on the northern coast of Africa. And before ancient Rome, it was the most powerful city in that region. And so, so what he's saying is that both, both Nantucket and New Bedford were historically, they were big cities in the United States. And it really, you know, it, 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 what a lot of people don't know is that the whaling industry put America on the map in the 1800s. And America was getting all the whale oil. It wasn't anybody else. I mean, these guys were going all the way off to the Pacific. You realize how hard that would have been? There was no, there was no Panama Canal there. You know, so they'd be out three or four years. And they, wow. were, they would be loading their ship with whale oil. And so, uh, so you know, uh, he also, in this chapter, he, he compares uh, Nantucket to the great original whaling capital. And uh, uh, so, but, but he doesn't know anything about New Bedford. And I think this is where this is where we start to meet uh, the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't he think New Bedford's probably more prestigious in whaling now? But he likes Nantucket more because it's right. the original right. whaling city. So exactly. he, even though he might have better job opportunities in New Bedford, he still wants to sail out from Nantucket. So he's not really that happy to be in New Bedford right no. now oh no and yeah. now he's just going to wander the streets yeah and try to find a place to sleep <laughs> right sleep and eat right. remember now it's eat <laughs> he said now the, the thing is that there's a great image there this is on pages 10 and 11 where it, 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 he says he took his grapples and he reached in his pockets to see how much silver he had so he's looking his fingers are like a a, a a grapple hook from the whale ship now you have to understand what he's saying there and he, he doesn't have that much money so he's he uh, he goes to all these different inns. I think that it really is humorous. It's funny. He goes to one called the Crossed Harpoons, and he sees it's too expensive and too jolly. You know. So in other words, he wants to be depressed. You know. <laughs> <laughs> then he goes to the sword, sword and fish inn. I always say sword, the sword and fish inn. He said, ah, yeah, that's too expensive and jolly. Then he goes to another building with the sign, The Trap, and he goes inside and finds out it's a Negro church. And, and they're having a sermon, and, and he said they were really slapping the book, and so he just gets out of that one. He, you know, and then he finally— he called, he called the preacher there the angel of doom. Angel of doom. Because he was, he was preaching fire and brimstone, apparently. Oh, yeah, right <laughs> from the book. And then finally he comes to the Spouter Inn, and it has the name Peter Coffin. And he knows it's dingy, it's dim, it's dilapidated. He said it's like, it's like the, it's like it had an aneurysm or something. And he said, this is the place for Ishmael, because <laughs> he can afford this, you know. That's good coffee there. Yeah, there's good coffee, <laughs> pea coffee. So, but anyway, the, the thing is, um, all you readers out there, we're not going to give you every little detail. But you need to read this chapter because one of the things that this chapter does is reveals how much Melville read the Bible. Because he talks about the Apostle Paul and this and the, the, uh, the wind, uh, Euroclidon. And if you remember when, uh, when they were trying to take Paul to Rome, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were going in the winter and Paul says, don't do it. We shouldn't do this. We should stay right here and we'll go after the winter. They did it, and they got blown all over by this, you know, this wind, and that's a real, that's that's really historical. Then he brings out uh, also, he 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 uses the the uh, 
the character Lazarus. And he said, and this is on page 12. He talks a little bit about Lazarus. He says, poor Lazarus there, chattering his teeth against the coat turned for his pillow. And so this is a guy that's obviously a street person, but he calls him Lazarus. And, uh, you know, if, if you remember that in, this, in the New Testament, there's a story of Lazarus who can't get across he can't get across to Abraham for Abraham to help him. And so, so he uses that. So, um, you know, anyway, there's just so much to read, read there, but, uh, uh, let's see, let's keep going. So he, he, uh, he waits a chapter. Melville waits a whole chapter until we get to the spotter in spouter in, I guess. And now this is, this is the big meeting. So I'll let you do, I'll let you do some talking about the spouter in. <laughs> well, the spouter in is a fascinating place because there is, I guess, a bar in the common area that has a gigantic whale head around it, it's or jaws. at least, at least, yeah, is it bar, a real one? Yeah it's, yeah, it's not a real, it's, it's the real jaw. But that's where the bar is, and so so you can imagine that the, sticking the, out from the wall. Yeah, the wall, yeah. the whale's mouth is completely open, but that's where the bar is. And then they have all of the the whaling weapons on one wall, and then there's this painting that he had to keep walking past and looking at multiple times to even figure out what it was all about. It's, it's, it's about the whale killing a boat, right? <laughs> Not the boat killing the whale. And then he finds out that there are no. Well, actually, he has a shockingly delicious meal of chicken and dumplings i think it was but then after that he can't stay there because all the beds are taken the innkeeper tells him this uh and then uh, ishmael says well i have money you certainly have a place where i could sleep and he says actually there is one sailor you could share a bed with and and then (laughs) ishmael is so anxious about this he is stressed out and 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 worried about who this mystery sailor he's going to share a bed with is because he's he's really going to try to avoid sleeping in the, in the same bed as another man <laughs> and then the innkeepers being coy with him about who this man who is. He is what he is and so now ishmael's imagination is running wild and he's thinking well is is my bedfellow going to be a criminal is he going to kill me in my sleep you know what what is going to happen to me overnight yeah. with this with this strange person yeah and then the in, the innkeeper says that this mystery sailor is out trying to sell his head and then Ishmael just explodes. He's like, listen, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Just give me a straight answer about who this person is. And then finally, the innkeeper admits that he's, he, he's selling human heads. Yeah. He's got them on a string, and he's just walking around the streets selling human heads, and he's going to get back in the middle of the night after trying to sell these heads for many hours. And then, and then he uh, decides, well, I can't sleep with him. I'm going to sleep on the bench. Right. And then the bench is just a too narrow, too short. He can't, he can't ma- match the bench up with another bench of the same height. And, and, and then he p- tries to put the bench against the wall, and there's a draft of freezing cold air yeah. coming in. So then he has to submit to this idea of sharing a bed. But then actually when he gets in the room, the bed's gigantic anyway. Yeah. So... I think they could sleep separately, pretty much. I think what's funny about that whole scene is he goes through Queequeg's things. <laughs> <laughs> he tries on the one of the things for the, that I keep puts over his head. <laughs> he says, "Wow, that's heavy. I can't carry that." You know? Didn't he what? scare himself by looking in the mirror with that on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's going through his things, 
and then he realizes he's not coming, so he goes and gets in bed. And then Queequeg shows up. <laughs> and Queequeg is a heavily tattooed, you know, native from one of the islands, and he just freaks out. And it's, it's hard to even picture what he actually looks like because Melville starts and Ishmael start describing him as purplish and yellowish, like I think the Andes Mountains and all these black square tattoos all over his body. Yeah. And like at one point he says that the tattoos are even on his leg, like dark green frogs climbing up two tree trunks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, it, it, it's just so funny that uh, um, the, the, the very end of that chapter then is the next morning and says, you know, he, he wakes up, he says he's never slept better in his life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so chapter four then is basically, it's just an extension of, you know, meeting Queequeg and it's called the counterpane. And if you don't look that up, you're not gonna know what that means, but it's actually a counterpane is just a nice warm blanket. And so, so basically what it is is when Ishmael wakes up the next morning, he and, of course, uh, in chapter three, they have all this going on, you know, with the, the, the Peter Coffin and, and uh, Peter Coffin's kind of, I think, enjoying this in a way because he held all the secret stuff about him, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but then the next morning, uh, he says, uh, you know, he wakes up, Queequeg's arm is wrapped around him. <laughs> and then he said, it was like we were married. You know? <laughs> but all the, the, the previous chapter, he says, a brother doesn't even want to sleep with a brother. And I'm going to sleep with a stranger. You know, so so uh, I had to sleep with a brother, you know, and uh, we didn't get along either. We just a big struggle every night. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, so, but then the next thing, and again, all you readers out there, you've got to read this for yourself. It, you, you will enjoy it. Uh, Ishmael then lays in bed and he watches Queequeg get dressed for the morning. And I think the funniest thing is he shaves, but he uses his harpoon. <laughs> I loved how he put his boots on before his pants, too. <laughs> and he had to get under the bed. And then the night before, he was he was making a toasted biscuit offering to his, his idol, his little idol. So, yeah. and he was grunting while he did that. So, <laughs> and, and then he had a tomahawk in his teeth when he jumped into. He like sprang into bed next to Ishmael to go to sleep. And that was his pipe. His tomahawk, oh, that's, what that's right. His tomahawk pipe. And it scared know? Ishmael to death. So, so, so the last thing he says then in this chapter, and then we're we're going to end this program for today. It says, but Queequeg, he, he's this is. Uh, him telling us this is uh, what Ishmael saying but quick quick do you see was a creature in the transition state neither caterpillar nor butterfly he was just enough civilized to show off his outlandishness in the strangest possible manner and uh, you know it, it's just really funny you know it's, it's he needs to learn how to even get dressed so so uh, well that's all the time we have for today's program on our next program Grant and I will continue our discussion of Queequeg and Ishmael, but we're going to do it in chapters 5 through 9. Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to also find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can also check your local library. Now, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. 
You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. Now, I have listed the chapters we'll be reading on the radio uh, for you, and you can either get them at Twitter or get them at Facebook. So, until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.